Hello. And Hello. welcome. No, it's my turn. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, just, I do like, the whole thing. Yeah, I do the whole thing first. We'll get you to it. Listen. Anyway, I'll appreciate wait. you. Damn Hello. And welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil, and this is the show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, we get to talk about everything in between. Today, this is going to be your part, I have on Kelsey Ramsden. She's the co-founder and CEO of MindCure. She is also a two-time author of Success, Hangover, and Unconventional Speaker. Kelsey, how are you doing today? Not bad. This is the part where I come in? Yeah, you can talk now. It's fine. <laughs> my ego's done. I got my thing out of the way. You're up. I think the listeners are in and, and viewers are in for a good time. We've just been like having a solid riff. This is fun. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. This is great. Right. We're going to have an absolute blast. So, Kelsey, first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast, before we get into you and writing books and being an incredible speaker and you know, psychedelics, that's going to be a fun one. Stick around. Which, why do you love sports so much? Mm. I There's two parts to sport that I adore and they're kind of like on different ends of the spectrum. So I was born, everybody's born with like a factory setting. I believe it. It's just how you came off the factory line. I was born a bit of a competitor. Like even thinking about it right now, I start to perspire, I salivate, my pupils are dilating. Like you just, you know, there's some people who are just born to kill and I love that part about it, that part where you can get so focused that and nothing else actually even exists, including time. I love that part about sport that's just about working in unison. I love team sport with other people to just at all costs personal uh, win, not to inflict pain. And then the other part I love is the kind of the other end of that, which is the camaraderie and and the real you know, the, the, the gentleman sport part, which is, I, I think in some respects a dying art, but in other places I'm seeing far less fighting, just bloodthirst and more respect for the game and, and finesse and skill. And, uh, and I think that's a beautiful thing when you see an athlete doing that. I think it is a, it's a pretty cool uh, area to live in, right? Just the, as you said, like the bloodthirst, like there are still people that will go out, but then at the end of the Stanley cup, they're shaking hands. Right. And it's yeah. like, I couldn't after seven games or whatever it ends up being, you know, you're up there in Canada. So sorry for your loss, but after seven games, however many games it is, like I couldn't, after competing that hard personally, I don't think I could go do something like that. So I always kind of like that. And like the ability for people to not like shut off, but like flip that switch and be like, okay, competition's over. Great job guys. We all had a good time. Yeah, absolutely. It's like we're here to kill each other. And then and then when the you know, when the war is over, we can I think a lot of it is just the respect for I've always appreciated the worthy adversary, you know, like it's no fun to play someone who's mediocre in the early days. It was fun. Just like you want to put W's up and that's good. But Mm -hmm. once you get skill and finesse and acumen and strategy, it's no fun to play unless they're worthy adversaries. I think that's what that handshake is about is like. Well played, sir. You know, you made it worth me coming out. I love it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah, as you're saying, when you're younger, like all you want to do is win. And of course, that never leaves. But it's also like, I like baseball. I want to watch a good baseball game. Watching the Mets win like 12-0, it's like, that's cool. But I'm going to turn that game off because I'm sure there's something else I'd rather watch on. So I like nothing at stake. That's a pretty, yeah, exactly. There's no real, damn, I'll use your word, stakes. I like that. So you're an author. I'm an author. So we're both authors. That's kind of cool. What made you want to write a book? Um, 
I think in many cases, you know, we go out and create the thing that's very self-serving, like the thing we wanted or the thing we need. A lot of invention goes like that. I think a that's, lot of that's you. What that's was your, I did it. What's your book called? Tell me it's about a, it. Uh, winning in sports business is about how to get a job in sports. Okay. Pretty yeah, easy. That's what you wanted. And then you yeah. did it and you wrote it. Yeah. Uh, great. Thanks. Good, good book because it's applicable. Um, so my uh, book is- uh, also one dollar on Amazon. But if anybody shoots me a message, I'll just send it to you for free. I like your style. Just get Appreciate the word out. Um, my book I wrote. So my book is called Success Hangover, and you know I think it's kind of self-explanatory. I had a success hangover and I needed a way to process it. Which sounds it's funny because. You can either hear that title and be like, hmm, so sad for you, like, wah, wah, success hangover. Or you can totally relate to, you know, the time you accomplished the thing you thought you wanted to do and you did it and it was great and you stood on your mountaintop and then you went, now what? You know, <laughs> I spent mm-hmm. all of my everything to get to here, which was amazing. And I didn't really think I would maybe even get here. So I didn't plan for the B side of this track. Or I got here and it's been a while and now my goals have changed and now I'm kind of interested in some other mountain. Uh, but here I am stuck on the top of this one. And a lot of times, you know, and you see it in sport all the time that people, you know, they define themselves as that thing. Like without the introduction, like, hey, I'm X, Y, Z, I play for the Knicks. They don't have anything to say. And, uh, and so that to me was what success over hangover was all about. Um, was just about that. Okay, I, I did the thing. I have, um, but it's less about what you, you know, what you accomplish, and more about being who you are. So, for me, it was kind of coming back to what is it that I do, no matter what I apply myself to, whether it's I'm in sport, I'm in business, I'm in my regular life. What's one thing that I carry across all of that that makes me, you know, my best, potentially the best at that thing. And, uh, and for me, that is uh, creation and connection. So unless I'm creating something new and I'm connecting with other people in like a really intimate way, not like connection, like, hey, but really driving to the meat of a thing. And every team I led was about that when we were on a winning streak. It was when we were doing that, building strategy, building plays and really functioning at the deepest level of the team. And same in business, you know. It's uh, it's about having a vision and then connecting intimately with it and the other folks. So that's what the book was about. And it did OK. There was a day I, I took a screenshot. It was like I I beat Tim Ferriss for nice. a day. It was I beat like, Moneyball. Yeah, I same one. I have a screenshot. Maybe? I beat Moneyball. It was pretty sweet. <laughs> it's great. It's like pretty cool. Right? Um, yeah, it was a good time. But writing a book is not easy. So. That's also something I mentioned. So, so congratulations for sticking with it. Thanks. Um, yeah, I could have definitely made it better, but towards the end, I was like, "All right, like this was cool," and then I was really flying high, and I'm like, "Okay, I kind of just want this to be over now." And then I look back and like, "Shit!" Like I could have definitely put it in a couple more hours of work, but you know, hey, you learn, you live, and you learn, right? That's what my editor told me at the end. They were like, "Okay, we're done." I was like, "Oh," and 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 anyway, she said, "That's what editions are for." So you put ah. you know, second edition. You just go and you edit the little bits, or you love capitalism, man. It is the absolute best. Let's go. So I have to ask. I mean, obviously, like, so first I will say, like, with the success hangover, 
yeah. those that first group of people that were like, oh, poor you, poor Kelsey. Like, clearly they've never, and maybe I'm, I'm overstating it, but many of them, I'm sure, have never got to that mountaintop, right? Yeah. That's like, like, you know, people that are like, oh, I feel so bad for this athlete because they, some, like, you, you've right. never been there. So you have literally zero concept of what they're going through. So I, I completely agree with you on that one. Like, there is, I've done a couple cool things in my life. And then, yeah, afterwards, I was like, oh, shit, now, now what do I do? This is kind of <laughs> weird. So I have to ask, what, what was that success and what was your mountaintop that you climbed? Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so I was twice named Canada's top female entrepreneur. Oh. And it's not Snaps bad. For Kelsey, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's okay. Um, turns out like other people like my awards more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I uh it it was you know, great accomplishments and I'm I'm, I'm honored to have um people notice that. But I just like working hard, you know, I just like building teams and creating value and I like making money. And um, and then all of a sudden, when people give you an award or some whatever the case, right, you win the cup and then everybody thinks, you know, everything. They're like, how did you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. I just I, 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 it's been 30 years in the making. What, what did I do? Well, first, I, you know, worked my face off and there's a great um it's not about all about the grind too. It's like, I don't know. I part, partly I had genetics. Uh, partly my father gave me a great example. My mother gave me a great example. I had tons of times I got kicked in the face and it was horrific. And I learned tough. You're never going to sum it up. How'd you do it? And, uh, and, a, and I, I didn't want to be typecast. I didn't want to be like, that's her. So now I have to always show up looking that part and being that part. And uh, anyway, it's, I was watching um, watching the Instagram the other day. Mm, scrolling here's Snoop, Snoop Dogg, and it's awesome. It's like the best clip, and he's he's giving like some kind of acceptance. You know, I want to, and he's like, I want to thank me for doing this and that, and I want to thank myself for doing this and that, and I want. And it was so for me, success hangover and uh, awards. And there was a, a kind of like a spree of awards at the same time. Those were the two kind of most um, notorious ones, but it was a bunch. And I remember just this feeling of being like, I don't really like it when everybody tells me uh, I've done a good job. Like it's, it's feels more, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't it, whatever that's, I know a lot of people like hearing how great they are. I'm not one of them. I prefer constructive criticism and being told what I could do better than being told that uh, I'm doing a good job. So that's my work to do, you know, armchair therapist stuff. But uh, I just, I, I prefer improvement to um, salutation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? Because as you said, you're extremely competitive, Like Once you start getting those pats on the back, that's not how, like, that's not going to make you more competitive. That's, that's literally the opposite that makes you less competitive. And so the more you can yeah. get constructive criticism or at least ask for it and hopefully receive it and then I love receiving take that it. and then use it, that's how you get better. And that's how you, as you said, put your competition into the dirt. I think I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I'm sure you would have loved, loved, loved to have said that. I think that's pretty awesome. And then I think that's really awesome. So how about this? We'll do like a, a one for one. I'll send you my book. You send me yours. Okay, deal. Done. I don't know how much mine will be useful for you, but you can send it to anybody. I don't care. I'm sure it will be useful yeah. and vice versa. You know, I'm, I'm sure, sure you've had success and have, have been hung over from it, but 
there's a there's some graphic images in it, so you may have to. If your grandma comes over, she's not gonna like it. Oh, geez, I just won't. I won't show her. It's fine. I just won't. <laughs> um, so another thing again that I was I was looking around a little bit. So you're an unconventional speaker. You're also mm-hmm. you were a lecturer last year uh, during the the heights, the peak, the mountaintop of the pandemic. Let's call it. Um, I guess those two things go together. As I told you prior, I've always, I want to be a lecturer. I think that I don't want to be like a full-time professor, just like two classes, like, like Tuesdays and Thursdays, like that, like six thirty ish, like two hour long class. Like it's not my whole night, but I can kind of get yeah. it. You know what I mean? So I think that would be a lot of fun. So where did your love of speaking come from? Cause I can already tell you got a great personality. That's an easy one. We'll just check that box right off. But where does your love of speaking come from? Why did you want to, do something like this because I'm sure there's other things you could be doing with your time, right? <laughs> you don't yeah, have to right. be doing this. I'm sure you wanted to. So where did where did that come from? So when I was so I was born in 1976, which makes me older than you and you know half of the population. And okay, cool. And um, so when I was little, I used to there used to be this thing called underoos. It was like underwear and a and a like wife beater and there would be it would be branded or like licensed from you know some so I used to have this Wonder Woman pair of underoos and my parents would have big dinner parties like in the 80s it was like party all the time so they so I would put together these like performances for their dinner parties and I would have this like outfit love it and so I always wanted to be a performer like as a kid, I thought that's what I would grow up and be. But um, thankfully, well, maybe not. I don't, anyway, my folks were like, absolutely not. There's no future in that. So I became a business person. But ultimately, I was in the position, having done okay in business, that I could go and perform uh, and speak. And so that's how I took my stages was as a speaker, because after the awards, you know, folks... Um, would want to talk to me. And so I got to travel around the world and speak at the global entrepreneurship Congress and like all these, I mean, I did a Ted and it was awesome. And, um, but traveling like that is, you think it's sexy and amazing until you do it for a year. And you're like, Oh my God, are you serious right now? Like, I don't know how these sports guys do it. I, I watch them and they're on the road and they're back and they're on the road and like particularly baseball, I know baseball guys get a hard rap for like maybe not being the hardest core athletes in town and the football guys think they're harder core. And then the hockey guys are harder core. You know, they all have this like hierarchy thing, but those baseball guys are grinders, man. They're the marathon sportsmen flying like that and then playing back to back and like, it's nuts. So I, uh, it was, and it wasn't conducive. I'm a mother of three children as well. So it wasn't, mm. you know, you kind of gets tricky. Um, yeah, so that was my speaking gig in that uh, career, and and I still do it sometimes. But the whole professorship thing or the the lecturing piece, I was a long shot to get into MBA school because I never really took school too seriously. I you know I do okay, and then I'd kind of like pick up my game to get the final grades, and then mm-hmm. so I applied to every MBA school in Canada, of which there are thirteen. And when I got to like skinny little thin envelope to the worst school. I was like, that's good. Okay. I'm not going to wait by the mailbox. And then, you know, you've got to throw a few Hail Marys. I got into the best MBA school because they liked my essay. And um, so 
ultimately I thought, you know what, if I could ever come back and teach here, that would kind of be like one of those, you know, like sometimes you just oh, want to. Yeah. Uh huh. I got you. Love it. it. And uh, so, yeah, so I had the lowest GMAT, which is the entrance exam to get into MBA, the lowest one on our whole class, 320 kids and or adults. And um, yeah, and then I did okay and won some awards and went back and did a victory lap teaching. So it just felt nice, mm-hmm. you know? Stick it to them. I like that. I like that That's a lot. Cool. That is, you know? uh, oh, I like, I love, I love that actually. I really do love that. And it I think again, the story of academia. Yep. Well, Rudy was offside, so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves there. But um, no, I think I think it's absolutely fantastic. And very clearly, um, how do I want to say this? I didn't go to MBA school. I okay. also don't really understand why people do, especially mm. like directly after college. I believe that there's a lot of positives that can come from it, particularly the networking. Um, mm. But like if you've never been to like in a business at all, why are you going to MBA school? That's like a whole nother topic of conversation, but it's just a very confusing concept to me. I totally agree with you. To keep it short and sweet, um, this school that I went to requires you to have some Mm -hmm. experience between, you know, because to your point and, uh, and people ask me all the time, you know, should I do my MBA? And most of the time I say, if you're just there to learn, you Google that stuff, man. Like don't Mm -hmm. go a hundred grand on that. You Google it. But if you want to network, then there's no better mm-hmm. place to go. So look at us. We're just like solving. I just it. need, I just need two necklaces. I just need two right. necklaces. Um, so let's talk a little bit about my cure. That's why you're here. Well, oh. there's a couple other topics. We'll sprinkle them in throughout, but uh, you are the CEO co-founder. I think president was thrown in there. Uh, True. Let oh. me, can I pat you on the back now? Cause great job. Great job, Kelsey. You're killing it. Um, very cool. Uh, got some product. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give it away. I think it is super, super interesting, super cool. Tell me straight from your mouth, the CEO's mouth, what is MindCure? What do you do? And what is your mission? Okay. That's that's a lot. So I'll... I'll... One at a time. Thank you. Uh, so for people who don't know otherwise, and they heard the word psychedelics, and they're like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. I think that's I how will... I kept them here. They're still, here. They're still, they're still <laughs> listening. They're waiting. On? They're like, there's something cool coming up. The, kidding come on we're having fun we're having fun (laughs) no we're cool we're homies it's all good um the the thing about psychedelics that you might not know and i'm guessing most of the folks who are turning tuning into the show are americans the uh there there are some psychedelics that are legal in america at the moment of which uh well the predominant one is ketamine And coming down the pipe is a lot of regulatory change and a lot of research with MDMA and psilocybin, formerly known as magic mushrooms and LSD and 5-MeO-DMT and mescaline and all sorts of things that we can jam on that in a second. But I just wanted to set the stage for people to know that like, we're not necessarily talking about totally illicit behavior. You're not luring people down the path towards jail. We're going to keep it all on the up and up over here and we'll be clear. So what MindCure does is we have um, three parts of the business. We're a publicly traded psychedelics company. So we're listed on the stock exchange. You can trade us in Canada or the States, which is bizarre in and of itself, like publicly traded psychedelics company. Love it. And uh, we have a line of functional mushrooms products. So these are mushrooms in capsules. So if you're a person who says, I don't like mushrooms, don't worry about it. You won't taste them. 
and they are nootropics and adaptogens. So they, they don't trip you out. No, you know, no psychedelic effect to these particular mushrooms, but they help with focus, um, energy, immunity. So that's one part of what we do. Second part of what we do is we have a digital therapeutics platform, which is kind of um, in simple terms, it's like an app that your therapist uses and you use to help you have a more meaningful trip and measure your trip and get better outcomes. And then the third piece is psychedelic research. So we develop psychedelic drugs, we test them, and uh, we put them into research to determine if they can help against indications. And ultimately, when we prove those things, then we'll be providing that care to the masses. So we'll be helping people heal all sorts of things. So uh, ketamine for depression is something that's pretty up there. Pain management, PTSD, uh, alcoholism, addiction. There's even some studies in the psychedelics industry around weight loss and, um, you know, smoking cessation, et cetera. So there's a lot of things that people are doing with the psychedelic drugs that are advancing how we, you know, look at a lot of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a year and a half ago, if you'd said to me, Kelsey, you're going to be a publicly traded psychedelics company. I w well, two years ago, I would have been like, that's not even, you know, it's not even a thing. And here we sit. It's here we cool. are. I think you've reached your second mountain being on the show, by the way. I just wanted to let you know. You should probably read your book again. But um, no, I think it is super cool. Uh, I got some uh, supplements. Is that the right, correct term? How do you, how yeah, do you, adaptogens, okay. supplements. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Adaptogens, that makes me sound a lot cooler and smarter. Cool. So yes, right. I think... Am I taking the lion's main one? I can't remember. Whichever focuses. I apologize. Yep. Okay. Yep, cool. lion's mane. And it is, doesn't taste bad. Works for me. Get nice and focused. It's nothing like crazy. Like, right. Like it's not like seven cups of coffee or anything, but I can definitely tell after using it for a few days, it is, yep. uh, it's, it's there. Something's there. I don't know exactly what it is, but something's there and it's pretty cool. And I like it. So again, appreciate you guys for sending that over. Um, sure. I guess. So where, so as you said, two years ago, you would have never guessed. So how, how in the last two years, what happened to get you to this point to become, you know, a very high ranking person, obviously CEO, co-founder, president, one more time. Um, how did you get there? And I guess what, what, what is it about you and the company that has allowed this to happen? If that makes sense. Yeah, great. So, um, yeah, look, part, we, you know, we did part of the intro was around the success hangover. So I was doing okay until I wasn't doing okay, but I still had this job and, uh, you know, businesses and companies and all the things I was doing. And um, so I became a patient of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy about four, just shy of four years ago. Mm -hmm. And it helped me tremendously. I never knew I had anxiety. I just thought that's how people who were driven felt. I thought you always felt just like a little bit nauseous, a little bit like, you know, all the things in your head going so many ideas so much and a little bit of stress all the time. I just thought that was like table stakes for success. Mm. Turns out not everyone feels that way all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. And, well, it, candidly, after my first psychedelic um, assisted psychotherapy session, I, I came out the other side and I was like, it's really quiet. And I just remember feeling this very clear moment of like, oh my gosh, 
that is silly. Like I some I do like to think I have a couple of brain cells to rub together, but that I never really picked up on what other people had said that that's not normal. Um, it was transformative. And so how did we get here was I got well, I was able to retire because part of the work is releasing yourself from this ego that has to stay attached to its narratives, whether it's trauma or pain or the big I ego, which is like awards and things you can't change. Who would I be if I wasn't right? Lots of athletes. So we can, uh, I'll riff on this for a quick second. Lots of athletes are starting to get into this work. So Mike Tyson, you can look at, at, at some of his recent announcements. So he was using psilocybin, so psychedelic mushrooms, um, there's a there's a fellow up here in Canada. He's a won the Stanley Cup a couple of times. Dan Carcillo. He had suffered a bunch of traumatic brain injuries, and so he's used psychedelics to help himself. Tons of Navy SEALs. Um, so there's a, a combat sport, and um, and just just general highly competitive folks. A couple ultra marathoners starting to use psychedelics to treat either the con- the the concussive repair mm. issues um a lot of athletes suffer from depression after their career is over performance anxiety like just th- this high expectation to always be perfect and give you know have your best game ever every single day is impossible um yeah so how did i get to be here i suppose the answer is i just was not well like everybody thought i was well Mm -hmm. i wasn't that well i i got well um i retired and and when i was retired i just started to see this market coming together and i thought this is kind of what i i was you know i hate to say but it's one of those things where in your life you're like ah it turns out i was born to do this this is like Mm -hmm. all the things were kind of leading to this so I got this MBA. It checks a lot of boxes for fu- the finance guys who fund these things. Uh, I've scaled these multi-million dollar businesses around the globe. That checks ad box for some folks. I've dealt in traditionally male-dominated industries. The pharmaceuticals is like that. So it was just kind of like all these things lining up. And um, and I had experience with work. And so here we sit. You know, it was uh, it was time to do well and do good at the same time. And it's nice to be a bridge, you know, it's nice to be able to approach an industry where you know both sides. Like I can drop in and be really present and and talk about psychedelic work and the healing and the real, you know, like heart stuff. Um, and I can also go into my, you know, competitive sportsman mode and do deals and negotiate contracts and raise money and um, close big financings and, you know, so it's, I'm super lucky to be here at this time to do, you know, a bit of interesting work and, and who doesn't want to say that they, you know, my brother had a cannabis company. So it it came up and they got bought out by a company called Canopy and, um, which was one of the big two. And so when I called my mom, I said, I was starting the psychedelics company. I said, you might have something to share with your girlfriends at the club when, when they say your son sold cannabis and your daughter sells psychedelics. Like, what are you doing up there? (laughs) (laughs) But we've both done okay. In fact, you know what? Okay. So I'm going to bring this around to sport a little bit. My brother was actually drafted by the Colorado Rockies. He played 
Yeah, he was a baseball guy and um, hockey and whatever else, like Canada. And but you may you may have heard of this company. It's called Saks. It's an underwear business. S A double X. Lots of sports guys wear it. A couple of the teams, um, it's their mm-hmm. thing. And it, uh, you may have to bleep this part, but it keeps your balls from sticking to your legs. I have and, heard of this. Okay. Okay. So that was my brother's company. So um, only sharing this to give a little bit of credence to like we're not both just drug dealers. We've done other things. Doesn't matter. As you, as you said, you're doing well and you're doing good. I don't care how you're doing it because I think we can all agree now that the the uh, the laws and regulations surrounding most drugs are probably not correct. Yeah. I think we can just full stop there. Is that like a good? Well, so this is, a, and this is a good and important point. Um, I think a lot of people, when they hear about psychedelics advancing, think what we're talking about is selling mushrooms to you down at the local like mm-hmm. corner shop. And, and I often say, and this is not to put cannabis down in any way, like God love you cannabis and all the folks who love it. But if we use a, an analogy, cannabis is like a Toyota Tercel. Um, and psychedelics are like a Lambo. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a, just, it's a different machine. They both will heal, you know, but one is, has tighter handling. It's a lot more powerful and you can, have a pretty material wreck if you don't mm-hmm. handle it properly. Uh, you can still crash on cannabis and like maybe gain 300 pounds, but <laughs> on, on psychedelics, it's a, it's an entirely different bailiwick. And so to, to your point around regulation, I do not foresee apart from the decrim, which is a, a different thing. That just means if you get caught with it, you're unlikely to go to jail. It doesn't mean you will not it just means it's, unlikely um it's going to be medicalized it's going to be it's going to be research backed it's going to be prescribed by your physician it's going to be provided under the care of a doctor or therapist and um and so in in some ways i'm really grateful for the regulation around psychedelics um but they also have been used for tens of thousands of years Mm -hmm. by people who have traditionally practiced work um so you know on their shoulders we stand and i think we have to respect those traditional practices but those people were apprentices right their father was a shaman then they learned from them they spent their whole life learning they didn't just like rock up at their buddy's place with a bag of mushrooms and say hey like, you guys do anything tonight <laughs> yeah let's go talk to god like, that's uh, not how it works exactly not, well, can, but you know it's not, usually not how it works though all those experiences i've had it yeah it wasn't quite the same but no i yeah. i uh i completely agree with you i i mean you know back in back in high school back in college we used to see all those like the government yeah. used to do the government used to have all this research right and then they just didn't tell us about it blah 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 and and it's it's very clear that Again, under proper control, under proper care. I was reading one of the articles, I think, set and setting, right? That's that's pretty yeah, important. 100%. You know, it's understanding what to do, how to do it, and, and doing it properly, not rolling up to your buddy's house with a bag of mushrooms. It's going to be completely different. It can actually be very effective. Um, I think one thing now that we hear a lot about, you know, Silicon Valley and like microdosing, right? Yeah. That's supposed to be all the rage down there. I've never been to San Francisco, but I hear it's... A place, and I think that that's supposed to be something that happens there a lot. Is this 
I guess give me the where where like where are you on that spectrum if that is a, even a spectrum like how how does that work what are, are you familiar with it and like give me give me a little bit more on that because I think that's a more common thing people know mm. about right yeah so microdosing absolutely so also open with you know as the CEO of a publicly traded company I can't support any illicit activity oh except of course not so what we're no, talking I just, about I, I just yeah but, this is all hypothetical this is yeah um but. I'm, but let's jam on it. So, yes, absolutely. Microdosing is a huge phenomenon. It's uh, smaller doses. Dose size could usually ranges between 100 milligrams and 200 milligrams for psilocybin, a tenth to um, 0.2 of a gram, depending on weight and how you metabolize. Um, and and so it's generally sub-perceptual, meaning you're not going to know. In the same way, you you know, the mushrooms that you took – you don't, you don't, like you said, it's not coming to you. You're not seeing anything. Um, but over time, there is a notion that microdosing can increase your focus, um, you know, clear out the cobwebs, so to speak, and increase performance. And so it's, it's an absolute phenomenon. There's lots of illegal businesses online where you can order these kind of things. Um, and I have a lot of friends who microdose and have done for a while. The one thing I would caution is I think a lot of people don't know that over time you develop, um, you can not tolerance. A, thank tolerance. you. The tolerance. So over time you develop tolerance. So people who are microdosing for a long time, and you can also get some gut issues if you just do it forever and ever. So there's a cycle that people will tend to go on, whether it's like four days on four days off, or you do a week on, a week off, whatever the case may be. Some people do a full month and then take two months off. Just depends on on what the microdosing protocol looks like. But absolutely, it's a it's a major thing. And I think we may see, you know, there is some research being done. So we may see microdosing becoming a script level uh, dosage, which would be interesting. Um, but like all things pharmaceutical, there's pharmaceutical grade. And then there's the stuff you grow out in your yard which can still be good. It's not bad, but reg but generally it's kind of inconsistent and, you know, you got to play with dosage and all those mm -hmm. kind of things. So, um, so the psychedelics industry as a whole is really working towards consistency, repeatability, scientific rigor, et cetera. So, you know what you're getting and, and um, it's not a bad time to be, uh, you know, a psychonaut. I like that. That's pretty mm -hmm. good. Psychonaut. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. You're incredible, Kelsey. I want you to know that. I appreciate you being on too. I think this is this is pretty darn interesting. And and again, going back to you, I guess more so uh, on the athlete end, as you said, Mike Tyson's doing some cool stuff. Uh, you were an athlete, right? You played uh, rugby up in Canada. Played a little field hockey. Sure, you got hit in the head once or twice. Uh, as you said, there was that gentleman. I apologize. I've heard his story before. The the, uh, yeah, the, the NHL. Thank you. Yes, the NHL player who he has uh, kind of dove into this and he has seen some very positive effects. Hmm. What have you, I mean, you obviously told us a little bit about yourself and the anxiety, but what have you seen, I guess, just from, you know, the last 18 months or however long it's been since you've been the, the CEO, what have you seen in terms of positives in other people, people that, you know, reach out to you and say, thank you. Oh my gosh, this has helped me in, in so many different ways. And, and how do you, uh, you know, sometimes a pat on the back's nice though, right? Like every once in a while. It's not bad. It's, not bad. it's okay. Just the small though. Don't make it. Yeah. Thank you. That's all we're looking for. It's like a hug, like where the two tap. <laughs> so in terms of athletes, what have you seen? Um, 
in that case, and, and are you working with any, if you're allowed to say that, are there any people that, you know, you, you, I don't want to say do research on that sounds a little, little funky, yeah. but like, it's what are you life. doing from, from that standpoint, the athletic standpoint? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I can, so I'll start with the, the, the concussive stuff and talk a little bit about that. And then I'll move into some of that, some cool. of the broader athlete scape. I ask such long winded questions. I apologize. It's okay. It's, like just, my one thing. it's yeah. meta. It's meta. There's a lot in there. Nice. It's, it's nice. meaty. Um, so when I played rugby, I was second row and I don't know how much you know about rugby, but you do like this for a while. It's called the scrum and the people in the middle, they're the hookers. Yep. And then for anyone who like maybe hasn't, cause Michael's up mm-hmm. to the, there's a front row and then there's a second row and the second row are the people who put their heads in between the other people's hips and they get pulled together. So that's me Ow. in the second row. And then you break and you're supposed to be the big tacklers. So, um, there are a number of games after which, you know, and this was before con- paying attention to concussions was even really a thing. Um, and we're, I was playing for the Valkyries, which is a varsity team out West. And the number of games after which I didn't know, you know, where we were going, what city we were in, any it was n- numerous, mm-hmm. but I didn't think anything of it. I mean, you're 20, whatever. You're like, yeah, yeah, good, good game. We won. Are we partying? Let's do that. And now I have come to understand that a lot of the things that I was suffering with are symptoms of this like recurring concussive state, TBI. And so anxiety can be one of these things. Depression can be one of these things. Addiction can be one of these things. And so I went for the mental health and, and I suspect strongly that what I was actually treating was a brain injury. And um, some of the least likely sports are actually the ones with the greatest amount of repeated concussions. So soccer is one of those sports where actually those players are more highly concussed than football players because football players are actually wearing something on their head when they take something to it. Soccer players, when they're actually heading a ball, you look at the like velocity and the redirection they're taking. I'm going to get this slightly off, but I think it's 40 pounds of pressure per square inch to take a punch in the, in the face Wow! versus 70 to 80 pounds per square inch to take a ball to the head. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, soccer players probably aren't doing super well. Obviously hockey players are doing a lot of fighting without their helmets on. And, uh, so there's a variety of sports for which these folks who played even in their youth and even in regular traditional sports, you didn't have to be a pro player to be harmed or finding these kind of secondary things. So when we talk about, um, the athletes, uh, there's some names I won't name, but I'll share in generalities. So some folks who have suffered from addiction and, uh, might be basketball players, that you might've heard of have used drugs like Ibogaine. So Ibogaine, it comes from a root in Africa, the aboga plant. It's a very long trip. So this isn't like a four to eight hour mushroom trip. This is like 12 to 24 Mm. hours, um, really intense, but cure rates. So meaning no withdrawal, which is a big deal for opiate addicts, no withdrawal and no cravings afterwards. 72% of people who do a BOGA treatment. 
Whereas a traditional, you know, uh, addiction recovery program in the States gets between 12 and 14% success rates. So like material Mm -hmm. difference. So that's addiction. Um, And some folks in that, of of course, I mentioned Mike, he might've had a few concussions and, uh, and for him, it's psilocybin. Um, And it's, you know, anger, (laughs) rage, um, emotional kind of inability to regulate and then, um, and then, you know, I think, I think it's reasonable to talk about um, the folks in the military, because I think actually, they're probably the greatest athletes going, they just don't have titles, and they mm-hmm. don't get rings. And, um, and a lot of those fellows are not only suffering from PTSD as a result of their service, but oftentimes, repeated blasts, so they're near blasts. So it actually, you don't feel it. But in between your brain itself and your cranium is a fluid. And when the blast comes through, it impacts the brain. So it, you don't know you're getting hit, but your brain's getting hit. Wow. And it can happen from artillery fire and it can happen from like large blasts. And, uh, and a bunch of these fellas are going and women are utilizing MDMA for PTSD. And um, some are using Ibogaine for um, TBI. So I think, you know, if if you're an athlete and you're listening to this and you're thinking, gee, that sounds like me, (laughs) you know, I'm not doing the best with this, you know, how do I get my hands on this stuff? A couple of things I would mention is there's some great studies going on. So MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies is in the States. Um, They do great research, predominantly around PTSD. Then you've got some folks out at Stanford, they're doing stuff with some war vets if you go down into Mexico, there are clinics that are open doing Ibogaine treatment and these kind of things. So I would just say, you know, hit the good old Google and look for but a, a well-respected um, research institution or locations, um, you know, outside of America because ketamine is legal in the States. But all these other things we're talking about, at 5-MeO-DMT, it's toad venom. It's not legal in the States. Um, you know, peyote, not legal in the States. Mushrooms. But it's coming. You know, we're doing the research. To, w- that's right. Provided we do the good science, right? Because the science will move the regulation and the story will move the culture. Because there still is a culture of people who are afraid of psychedelics. It's like that's for druggies and hippies and the other weirdos and freaks. Um, but I would say as, you know, a 45 year old mother of three who has a little bit of paperwork to support the fact that I'm occasionally a rational adult, you know, I, I think, I think the more people like myself, like, like respected people in society, like, you know, war vets and these kind of people who can come and tell their stories about, it's not about going on a trip and getting high. It's about healing our brains and the, and the research that's coming back is is talking about neuroregeneration. You know, we have a guy on our team, Dr. Dan Engel. You should check him out. He's done a lot of good work. He's a board-certified psychiatrist and neurologist. And um, he works with some of the biggest names in sport uh, and around concussive repair. And they've done a tremendous amount of research that actually, through scans, show the two hemispheres of the brains reconnecting and growing new, new neural pathways. Like it's really, it's mind blowing stuff. So it is, it's real science. It's, 
and it's not for the faint of heart because as we know, it's not always easy. Um, but if you're in sport, you know that like training hard only makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. And the same is for healing. So, um, you know, there's lots of hope out there for the folks who are suffering, which is a nice thing to be involved in. Yeah. As, as you said, doing well and doing good. I think that is, it is uh, pretty important. And as you said, like there's the very clear science that backs it. I'm sure there's a lot more that you guys are going to do. I'm sure there's a lot more that you have to do. And there are still a lot of people that like, Oh no, you can't touch. I mean, there's still people that don't think weed is like, they still think the weed's the devil. Right. So like, there's a lot of people you're going to have to overcome with this, especially people in the government because politicians are the worst. But I do think that it's definitely, you know, as you said, you're doing good work and there's a very clear connection on how you can help people specifically athletes, but many, many different people. Like you said, anxiety, how many people have anxiety, right? Like that's, that number is way bigger than the number of people that are ever going to play sport in their entire life. Right. So I think that's, it's pretty cool that you get this opportunity to help so many people. And as you said, it was almost kind of like you were born, you, 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 you made it here. And once you're like, ah, shit, yep. All right. I guess rope me back in, but at least it's a cool thing you're doing now. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the future I see for psychedelics applies to everyone though. I mean, I think ultimately once we get past this kind of like mental health thing, we're going to get into mental wealth, which is Mm -hmm. the optimization of the human by utilization of psychedelics. We talked, we opened the segment around psychedelics talking about microdosing. Um, There there's bodies of research and lots of folks who are just like, you know, black opsing. Um, the work around performance because the level of clarity and focus, the, this like total connection biophysically to self and ability to um, adapt how we, how we connect with um, the kind of the, the deepest resource that we have is really tremendous. And I think what we'll see is this like the mental wealth really being the next frontier. Yeah, I, I always find that as an interesting topic of conversation, right? It's like, let's just get back. Let, let's just get people to okay. It's like, well, why don't we get people to great? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff we, oh, you're not doing good. Okay, let's just, let's just get you to passable. Get you a nice C plus. Like, well, yeah, totally. What are we doing here, guys? But I don't know. I love it. I think you're doing some incredible stuff, Kelsey. This is so cool. So tell me where, uh, where can we find you? Because I'm sure you got some cool stuff to say being, one more time, the two-time yeah. female Canadian entrepreneur of the year get that right um author speaker where can we find your book where can we follow you online where can we follow mind care where can we buy mind care where can i invest in mind Mm -hmm. care give me all of it all right let's run it down so i'm kelsey ramsden it's spelled out here and you can find me on all the socials mind cure same jam just mind cure or mind cure health um yes we're traded on the otc down in the states that's over the counter and um, up in Canada on the Canadian Stock Exchange, Canadian Securities Exchange, our, our tag is MCUR. Up in Canada and in the States, it's MCURF as in Frank. And, um, and you can buy the products online. Same thing. Just look up Mind Cure Health and you'll be able to find that there. The book is sold where all good books are sold. So you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I'd say, you know, pick up Mike's book while you're at it, you know, love it. Get a twofer in there. Not too bad. Look at that. They should, they should have brought our books to space. Did he, do you think he brought a Kindle with like all the books 
on the Amazon store to space. That way we could say we were in space. That would have been pretty cool. Oh, see. Marketing, what, man. That's where my mind comes from. When you need, needed you there. Just saying. But Kelsey, this has been absolutely incredible. One more time, Kelsey Ramsden, co-founder, CEO, president, author, Mind Cure. Absolutely incredible. Really appreciate your time today. That's Michael. It's been great to be here, man. Absolutely. Yeah.